0: Well, this week, we're continuing in the series on the Gospel of Luke. It's the second week and the second chapter, okay? Last week, we learned um, that the Gospel of Luke was originally called katalukan, which means what? According to Luke, right? According to Luke. Also, Luke was not one of the 12 disciples, like some people think. Actually, he wasn't even a Jew, Most likely, he was a Greek who became a Christian through the ministry of Peter and Paul. Sometime after the day of Pentecost, the early church was all Jewish, okay, for a while. But Peter and Paul reached out their ministry, uh, a lot of their ministry was to the Gentiles. Luke was a physician. Um, He was well-educated, had a great command of the Greek language, very skilled in researching, investigating, and writing with eloquent precision, And as we go through this series, you will see that. That's very characteristic of Luke. Uh, Luke was not an eyewitness of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but he personally knew and interviewed the apostles who were eyewitnesses, who were eyewitnesses uh, like Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He also extensively traveled with Paul as a co-worker in the cause of Christ and the good news. Luke, uh, Paul says, was with him in his second Roman imprisonment before his execution. Luke was loyal to the nth degree. The Gospel of Luke and Acts were written, both were written by Luke, and addressed to someone named Theophilus, something I didn't mention last week, just didn't get to it. I was trying to pack a lot of stuff in. But Theophilus was a person of prominence and means, resources, okay? Um, Because Luke addresses him as... Most excellent Theophilus. What do you say to someone like royalty? What do you say? Oh, your, your excellency, right? Okay. So it's kind of like that. He, said, he addresses him as most excellent Theophilus. It is speculated that Luke gave Theophilus both volumes of Acts and Luke to have them sort of published, copied and distributed among the churches. Because, first of all, he was a Christian. Theophilus was a Christian. He is a person of position and resources so he could get that done and spread those around. The Gospel of Luke and Acts. Chapter 1 covers the parents of John the Baptist, um, the angelic announcement of John the Baptist, the miraculous conception of John the Baptist. It also covers the angelic announcement of Gabriel to, um, about Jesus to Mary, his mother, and the miraculous uh, conception of Jesus. And he wraps up It wraps up that chapter with the birth of John the Baptist as the one who would make ready the way of the Messiah of God. John would be this Elijah figure that the Old Testament speaks of, the spirit of Elijah, to witness to Jesus as the Son of God and the promised Messiah. That was chapter 1 in a nutshell. This week is chapter 2, and uh, as I'm going to call it today, Christmas in January. It's Christmas in January. So listen as I read the first seven verses according to Luke. Listen as I read. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken in all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for a census each to his own city joseph also went up from galilee from the city of nazareth to judea to the city of david which is called bethlehem because he was of the house and family of david in order to register along with mary who was engaged to him and was with child while they were there the days were completed for her to give birth and she gave birth to his her firstborn son she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Would you pray with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that everybody was okay. <laughs> that Mary and Joseph and Jesus, even though there was no room in the inn, they, they were okay because you provided for them and you had a purpose in all of that. And God, we want you to know that uh, there is room in our hearts for you. There's room in our hearts for you. So in our hearts today, Lord, guide us and lead us by the power of your Holy Spirit to understand these words. More fully understand um, how you are calling us as a church and what it means. What, the, what these signs and these witnesses and all of this means uh, in your life. Help us to understand what Luke was communicating. For we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So verse 1. He says, now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken in all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So first of all, let me start with some historical context. Okay? Caesar Augustus ruled as emperor of Rome from 27 B.C., that's 27 years before the birth of Christ, to 14 A.D. Also... When Luke says all the inhabited earth, he's referring to the Roman Empire and territories, which is most everything that anybody knew anything about, Okay, which does not include Leesburg, by the way, or the villages, or Oxford, Roger. Doesn't include any of those. It's all of the Roman uh, Empire. It is also historical Roman record that Quirinius was the governor of Syria. That's in Roman history. Now, why is it important? Why do I bring that up? Well, because it's self-authenticating. It's self-authenticating. Luke's record matches Roman record in history. That should give us additional confidence in the text, the accuracy of Luke, right? Because his account matches Roman history. Verse 3 tells us that everyone was on their way to their hometown to register for the census, which no doubt had something to do with taxes, your government working for you, right? You can tell I'm not crazy about taxes. <laughs> okay. But that's what the census was all about, counting people. Verse 4, verse 4 says this, Joseph also went up from Galilee from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. So about the geography here, Galilee was not a town. Okay, Galilee was a region, like Central Florida is a region, and Orlando is a town, or Leesburg is a town. Um, Galilee was in is in the northwestern part of Israel, around the Sea of Galilee. The city of Nazareth is in the more southern part of Galilee. As the crow flies, Nazareth is approximately sixty miles from Bethlehem, which is actually 6.2 miles southwest of Jerusalem. To give you a little bit of perspective on travel for what Mary and Joseph probably went through, um, in the 1800s, the forts in Florida along the coast, they built forts all down the coast. And uh, the distance between the forts, like between Fort Christmas, which is on Highway 50, and Fort Taylor, which is out where I go hunting with my kids sometimes, is 50 miles. Fifty miles was considered a day's march. Okay? So Joseph and Mary probably took a couple days in her condition, right? It's going to take longer. But that's the distance that we're talking about from Nazareth. Um, first natural question here is why does it say Joseph went up from Nazareth to Judea and Bethlehem, when, which is south of Nazareth? Why would it say he went up? Well, Luke is speaking in terms of altitude, and not direction, okay? We see this everywhere in the Gospels. It says Jesus went up to Jerusalem, or a man went down to Jericho, right, which is the low country in altitude. Nazareth is 1,138 feet above sea level. Jerusalem and Bethlehem are considerably higher. Jerusalem is 2,474 feet above sea level, and Bethlehem is 2,543 feet above sea level sea level. So they are higher. So that's why Joseph went up. They went up to Bethlehem. Um, They went to Bethlehem because it was their city of origin. Joseph was of the line of King David who was born in Bethlehem. Uh, So that's why it's called the city of David. Um, Bethlehem by the way is a Hebrew word that means house of bread. Beth in Hebrew is house. Lachem is bread. Bethlehem means what? House of bread, house of bread. Verses 5, 6, and 7 tell us that Joseph went to register along with Mary, his fiancée, who was with child. This is important. They were not married yet. Okay? They had not come together and consummated the marriage because the, the, the angel told Joseph no. <laughs> they did not consummate the marriage sexually. Mary was with child and still a virgin. Luke makes that very clear. But while there in Bethlehem, she was full term and she gave birth. Verse 7, if you've if you got your Bibles there, it should be up here as well. It says, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now, a good question right about now is this. Why didn't God make a reservation, right? 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 Why didn't God work it out so they could have a room? I mean, Mary's special, right? We've already, last week we talked about that. She's favored. She's chosen. Couldn't she at least have had a a room with a bed to give birth to Jesus? Why a stable? Why a manger? Good questions. Good questions. And we're going to get to that in just a few minutes. But first, listen to Luke chapter 8, verses 8, excuse me, chapter 2, verses 8 through 14 as I read it for you. Now, as I read it, I want you to imagine that I am Linus on the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Right? Okay? Just imagine that. Because this is what, you remember Charlie Brown was so upset about the materialism, he says, what's Christmas all about? And Linus says, I'll tell you what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. That's what he said. He said, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the field and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Right? That's what Christmas is all about. So let's go through that. Starting at verse 8. The shepherds were not far away, but they were in the same region. That's what it says, in the same region near Bethlehem. Back in 2019, Sandy and I, thanks to you, got to go to the Holy Land. And we visited Bethlehem. And they took us and showed us some caves around the outskirts of Bethlehem that have been used by shepherds for hundreds of years. Really cool caves. Some of them had holes in the top of them and they would build fires in there and and get out of the weather. Um, And they're not very far from where we believe that Jesus was born, that place In Bethlehem just a matter of maybe three or four miles last week we talked about two angelic visits you remember the first one was to Zacharias the separate one um, was to Mary so in verse 9 an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them them being the shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened and understandably so right And, of course, the angel said what angels say. You remember what I said last week? Because they were, I guess, pretty impressive individuals, right? They didn't look like us, I guess. And maybe they were even a little bit scary. So they say, don't be afraid. That's what the angel said, don't be afraid. Listen to verses 10 and 11. It says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you shepherds a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. So this is very good news, isn't it? It's not just any news. I mean, there was an angel, and then there was the tabernacle choir of angels right this is a big deal it was good news very good news and it's for all people it's not just for some of the people this is for all the people a savior has been born for you in bethlehem the city of david just like the old testament said it would happen and this savior is christ the lord which means messiah the lord the promised messiah Verse 12 helps to answer some of those questions that I just mentioned. The angel said this. He said, this will be a sign for you. That's key. I got it circled right here. This will be a sign for you. In other words, this is what you need to look for when you go to Bethlehem. This is how you will know you found the right baby. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. That's a good sign when you think about it. Not too many babies choose to have their babies. Not too many um, parents choose to have their babies in stables or in mangers, right? Put them in feed troughs. I have never seen a gift register for a baby shower that has hay or a manger, right? Right. What does it usually it usually has bassinet, right, or crib, or maybe a pack and play? See, I'm a grandparent. I know all that stuff, right? pack and play not a not a feed trough okay not a feed trough so what are the odds right no one wants their baby to be in a manger so it's a pretty safe bet that the ain't that the shepherds will find the right baby they're gonna find the right baby this will be a sign for you shepherds this is how you'll know this is how you'll know that's one obvious reasons that God chose to do it that way if you're wondering why But there's still the question Didn't Mary deserve better? Right? After all, she's special, she's favored, chosen of God, like no other woman who has ever been or who will ever be. She is blessed among all women. That's how she's described. Well, listen, very often we see in the Bible how God allows his people to endure hard times, right? The Bible's full of those stories. To go through difficulty, to endure hard times, what for his purposes? for his purposes, for a reason. Um, and in our, it, it happens in our lives also. We go through difficult times. Um, things happen in our lives that we would never choose if we had ever had um, been given the choice to choose. But here, God somehow works through those tough times and through us. God works through those things to fulfill his purpose, to bring glory or attention to his presence, to his plan, and to his purposes. I've seen this in my own life, Sandy and I. I remember years ago, one of my children looked me straight in the eye and said, Dad, how could this ever bring glory to God? Just looking right at me. How could any good ever come out of this? And with a tear in my eye, I said, I don't know. I don't know. But I know God has a way of doing that. I just, but I don't know. But years later, you know, now as we look back, we can see how God's purpose, presence, and plan were revealed in what we went through. In that crisis and in that situation in our lives. And it was no fun. But God used it for his purpose, and he did an amazing miracle in our family. So here's my point about Mary and, and all of this. Okay. If that happens to you, if you're going through that now, keep your hand on the tiller okay? and follow Jesus. Keep your hand to the plow and trust God. You may not understand it now, But you may in the future. I think Mary understood that very important principle. I think she understood that through all of this. Listen um, for all that in this as I read verses 15 through 20. Listen as I read 15 through 20. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another... Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and to Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And you know what they're thinking? Ah, this is the one. Yeah, this is the one, right? When they had seen this, when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about the child, to Mary and to Joseph and anybody who would listen, right? And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them about the shepherds. But Mary treasured, Mary treasured all these things up and pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as it had been told to them. So another answer to those questions that we talked about. Why the stable? Why the manger? Why the shepherds? It's this, it's this. We see this constant theme throughout the Gospel of Luke. Jesus did not come only for royalty, obviously. Otherwise, Jesus would have been born in a palace. I I, I said that Christmas Eve with the children's message, right? Jesus didn't come just for the well-to-do and those with possessions and power. Jesus did not come only for religious people and righteous people. The message of the stable and the manger and the shepherds is that Jesus came for what? All. All. Yeah. Jesus came for all the people, the regular middle class folk, for the poor and for the needy, for the broken, the hurting, the sick, and the lost. Jesus came for sinners and scoundrels. (laughs) Jesus came for me. Luke emphasizes this point over and over again in his accounts of the life and teachings of Jesus. Chapter 19 is a prime example. In the story of Zacchaeus, Jesus summarizes it this way. In verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Us. He said other things like, I didn't come for the well. I came for the... Sick, right. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. That's Matthew. We see that. We see that. And we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that. But right now, we're pressing on to chapter 2, verses 21 through 40, which addresses the days immediately following Jesus' birth. It's the week after, okay? The week after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And before I read this section, this is what I want you to take note of. If you're, some of you are taking notes, I know some of you do because you told me. This is what I want you to take note of. We will meet two more witnesses to whom uh, they witness to who Jesus is and why he came. There's Simeon, who is a very devout Jew. And there's Anna, who is a prophetess and a widow who served in the temple. They are two witnesses. More witnesses in a line of witnesses that Luke methodically lays out and presented to his readers in order to what? To introduce the Son of Man, Jesus, the Messiah. The first was Gabriel. You remember back in, in the last chapter, Gabriel and the parents of John the Baptist, the conception and his birth. Then it was the angel Gabriel again to the Virgin Mary and the Holy Spirit and the conception of Jesus. And then it was the angel and then a whole lot of angels to who we're talking about today, the shepherds, okay? And there was a sign of finding the baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. So we see the pattern. Luke, he's laying all of this out for us because he's researched it thoroughly and he wants us to know this. You see the pattern. So listen for that in verses 21 through 40. Oh, something else I want you to listen for is this. When Luke is going through this, he sort of explains and defines some of the Jewish customs as he goes because he knows that the main readers probably for his gospel will not be Jews but will be Gentiles and Greeks. So listen for that also. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, Hebrew boys were circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. So here he's, he's talking about that. And then his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according, here it is, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to the temple, up, excuse me, up to Jerusalem, not direction, but elevation, brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord." Every firstborn male, so here he's explaining it, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord. And then he tells them what it is, a pair of turtle doves or a pair of pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, here he is. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. The consolation is talking about the Messiah, the consoler, the consoler, the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So somehow God had let him know, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah, the Simeon. And he came in, in the spirit, into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to carry out for him the custom of the law, do everything they were supposed to do there at the temple, then he took him, that's Simeon, took him into his arms and blessed God and said, this is what Simeon said, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. In other words, I can die now, that's what he's saying. For my eyes have seen your salvation, Jesus which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light of the Gentiles, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. So he's saying here, he's for all people, not just for the Jews. See, Luke, Luke is very careful to say this. He's a revelation to the Gentile, and the glory of your people, he's for all people, not just for the Jews. And his father... And mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. In other words, it's going to be difficult for him, for your child. And a sword will pierce even your own soul. She's going to be hurt through some of this. To the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. Remember last week I said, you never tell a woman she's old, right? And you never tell Pastor John I'm old. You say, you're advanced in years, Pastor John, right? So she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple serving night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking, everybody who would listen, I imagine, who were looking on and looking for the redemption of Jerusalem, which is who? Jesus. Jesus. So there's our two more witnesses. When they had performed everything, speaking of the parents, according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom and in the grace of God, and the grace of God was upon him. So he was growing and he was maturing. Then in the last 12 verses of chapter 2, verses 41 through 52, we are told about an incident that happened when Jesus, when he was on the very cusp of his teenage years, right? He was 12 years old and feeling his oats, okay? Okay. Feeling his oats. Jesus is becoming a teenager, right? He's right there. Now, as a teen, I don't know about you, but I was kind of a handful for my parents. Could you imagine that? You thought I was a perfect angel, didn't you? Oh, my. I could tell you stories. Mason could tell you some stories (laughs) of things he caught me doing. But anyway, that's a whole other day, right? But how many of you can relate that, either as a teen that gave your parents trouble or as a parent who got trouble from your teen? How many of you all can relate to that? Right? Okay, all right. So that's Jesus. He's 12 years old. He's 12 years old. And we can all tell stories from both sides of that equation. But this incident with Jesus at 12 years of age is in none of the other Gospels. Okay? And also, neither is Simeon. And neither is Anna. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. Only Luke records it in his account of the life of. Jesus so listen as I read these 12 verses and notice notice that Jesus is not your typical teenager right for obvious reasons (laughs) he's the Son of God he's the Son of Man he's the Messiah he's the God of all creation he's the Lord okay but I want you to listen you can hear okay you can hear some tension David You can hear just a tinge of tension between parent and teen as he grows in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So listen for that as I read and comment on this text. Starting at verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year for the feast of Passover. And when he became 12, they went up. Remember, they went up to what? To Jerusalem. They went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days there, which would have been at least seven, maybe more, maybe ten days for Passover, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it. You're thinking, well, how could they possibly be unaware of it? What, unattended parents, you know? But no, no, no. He says, but they supposed him to be in the caravan. And went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. Y'all ever had like a family reunion or something like that, right? And all the kids are out playing with their cousins and the aunts and uncles. So obviously this was something that they did every year for Passover there. They head up to Jerusalem from Nazareth, and, and you've got Joseph, maybe some aunts and uncles. Um, Jesus probably had um, brothers by Joseph and Mary by this time. Right? And so they're all headed up there all together and they get to Jerusalem and they start heading back and they just figure, you know, Jesus is with them, right? He's, just, he's with the other people. But when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, can you imagine? I got a licking with a belt one time because I was an hour late in Daytona Beach when I tried to walk to the pier. Me and Pete, my my best friend, we got a licking. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, and it's talking about Mary and Joseph here, when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, are you ready? Here's the tension. Son, why have you treated us this way? if I had a nickel for every time my mother said that oh my but here's that's what she says to Jesus son Jesus why have you treated us this way behold your father and I have been anxiously looking for you the way my grandmother would say that is we're worried sick about you right we're worried sick about you that's what they're saying and he said to them why is it that you were looking for me? In other words, what he's referring to there is, why were you looking everywhere else in Jerusalem? He said, did you not know that I had to be in my father's house, which is what? The temple. But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them, altitude, down with them and came to Nazareth, 1,138 feet above sea level. And he continued in subjection to them. Can you imagine the Son of God subjecting himself to Mary and Joseph. Why? Well, the commandments, he's all righteousness, honor your father and your mother, right? Subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. And when I see that, when he says, and this is the second time in this chapter, he says that his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And what that makes me think of is he probably interviewed Mary. Right? He probably interviewed Mary personally and said, now tell me about that time in Jerusalem. Right? He said he researched it thoroughly. So that's kind of a neat thought, isn't it? Not just the apostles, but he probably interviewed Mary. John was in charge of her. Remember, Jesus left John in charge of her to to care for her and take care of her. So that's a pretty cool thing. That's a pretty cool thing. All right, would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the things that we learned today. It's kind of humanizes all those people, kind of humanizes Joseph for us and Mary, and and the situation, the shepherds. We thank you for the good news. We thank you that it's for all people. You came for all of us at our different stations in life. for the well-to-do, for the not-so-well-to-do, for the righteous and even for, for scoundrels and even for me. The good news is for us because we are saved by your grace and by your mercy. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior of the world and you are our Savior. And that cannot be overstated. That cannot be overstated. We are so grateful for you and for your birth and for your mission and, and for your death for us, and that you rose for us, and that you live for us, and you live in us and with us, and we're grateful for that. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, and all God's people can say.